Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Morning, everyone. Um, It's been an interesting week in the sense that I have been um, just freshly... uh, trying to align with the emotions that um, these men and women have felt throughout centuries. I think for a lot of us, as we look at the narrative of uh, Christmas, and particularly the the nativity, some of us may, may think, maybe not intentionally, but these are like literally, literary, literary, thank you, thank you, Jeannie, literary, um, elements to help us understand some deep truth. But these, these were men and women that, that existed, that lived. Luke goes into a lot of detail to actually ground this in the historical moment of, of that time. We know that Mary and Joseph existed. We know um, that these people were real, and the emotions that they must have been feeling were its just overwhelming to me to think um, of, of what Joseph must have been feeling. I'm like, this is not how I planned my family. This is not what I had in mind. Uh, I, I, I did not have in mind that I would be marrying a pregnant woman who was carrying the Son of God, and now I have to take her to my family in Bethlehem, and what are they going to think? Mary's sitting there thinking, this is definitely not how I planned beginning my my family, and, uh, and so just the emotional connection with how these men and women have felt has also made me open to the emotions that others have been feeling within the context of our community. And when I think of Mary, I think of a woman who gave birth to a child that she knew would never be her own child in that sense, that, that she gave birth to someone that she would ultimately worship. I mean, I, I think of I think of Lisa and I think of Brittany, who in the last two months have had to give up a, a child, took the child in, in the context of fostering, understood what they were doing, called by God to do that, but it's not an easy thing to let go of. And, um, and so just this morning, I've been overwhelmed with the sense of, man, there's a lot of emotion swirling around in this Christmas time. Joy, sure. Expectation, sure. But also a lot of like, man, these last two years, this year, even the last five years have not worked out in the way that I expected. And then to top everything off, which is why I have a tissue here, we sing All Glory Be to Christ. And All Glory Be to Christ is the song that Corinne and I sang in the hospital room of a woman who delivered a stillborn baby. And she asked, can we sing the song. And the, the part that always gets me, great, I can't even read it now. The part that always gets me is it's, it's, it's the lights. We, we, we tried to make the lights a little more friendly and now I can't see anything. Um, but there's, uh, there's that, that line in the song that says that we'll drink a cup of kindness. Uh, that together we'll drink a cup of kindness. And I just think constantly during this time 
that, yes, there is joy, there is expectation, but there is also a sense in which our joy is so much greater because of the darkness and the fear that we come out of. Um, and so we pick up the narrative in Luke 2, verses, um, verses 3. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Mary has gone back to Joseph. Joseph has decided not to divorce her, with which he has every right to do in the context of that environment and that society and culture. The Roman government has called for a census, which means they have to return to Bethlehem, and multiple prophecies are now being fulfilled throughout what is happening here. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled, and since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth, which is where they were in Galilee, to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went and enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn son, a son, wrapped him snugly, and we know the scripture says in, um, in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night, in a sense, minding their own business. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid, fear not. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly or in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. With the angel praising God. And they said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those he favors. Now when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about the child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. Other scriptures will say Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. In those days in Palestine, the birth of a child was cause for massive celebration. You would have friends come around, there would be musicians, and everyone would be making this massive great fuss. But it doesn't seem that Mary had that in that moment. Mary had something that no one else had ever had. Mary had the host of angels uh, singing and glorifying the birth of her son. However, the problem with all of this is she wasn't there. Uh, this is like being told that you could have experienced something amazing. Although this is really more like um, Val being told that her son was so applauded at his Christmas presentation and she wasn't there. Um, this is something that Mary would have known and understood after the fact, but not something that she experienced. As the angels are singing and as the light is dazzling, Mary is in uh, what would be a kind of lower-end guest room uh, in a manger with the child, wondering what on earth is happening. Imagine how this helped with her anxiety and fear. Imagine how... 
this helped with this idea of like, don't worry, all of this is, is going to work out. Sometimes the testimony of God's goodness is enough to elevate us out of fear. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning is this whole idea, concept, and emotion of fear. The angel appears to Zechariah. What does the angel say to Zechariah? Fear not. The angel appears to Mary. What does the angel say to Mary? Fear not. The angel appears to the shepherds. What does it say to the shepherds? Fear not. We're getting the thread here, right? This was a terrifying thing to experience. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous, good news. We, we all have our own relationship with fear. And Karn's relationship with fear is very different to my relationship with fear. And Karn has three phases of being afraid. The one phase of being afraid, because we test this often when we give her frights, <laughs> is just this loud scream that then renders her voice box inoperable for the next minute or two. She just screams super loudly. The second one is that she tries to find somewhere to hide. So if something is wrong, she tries to hide under the bed or, you know, cover herself with, uh, with a duvet. And the third one, which, which I've seen a number of times in my life, may or may not have caused, is, uh, is the fact that literally she just drops to the ground in the fetal position, you know. Every time angels appear, there is this sense of gravity and the sense of awe. But what we need to understand with the shepherds is this was not just one angel. Now, angels have appeared throughout the history of Israel. This wasn't just one angel. This was the host of angels that had appeared with this angel that was speaking to the shepherds. Imagine something very weird is happening, and you and your shepherd friends are just coming to terms with the fact that there is this angel and there is this dazzling light, and you're just like, okay, am I, is this real? You're seeing this, Joe. Yes, I am, you know. And in and, and that moment, as you're getting used to this craziness, suddenly the whole light I mean, the whole darkness becomes light and is awash with angels. And you're seeing this. No wonder they were terrified. And they were terrified because this is a normal response. It's a normal response when something unique and um, out of the ordinary is happening. They're terrified because they know that they can't see the face of God and live. But they're also terrified because of this. There is a massive distance between God and man. And we know throughout Scripture that God has revealed Himself in different ways, through the burning bush or through angels or, or, or through a cloud of fire and smoke. But now this is the thing that I was thinking about this week. These shepherds are about to gaze on the face of God in a child. This is the first time that a human being is actually going to be able to look on the face of God and live in this moment. And, and not only are they going to be able to gaze on the face of God, but they're going to see something that is so unique that has never happened before, that like, like J.R. Packer says, you can't make this stuff up, that God is tied in a human baby, constricted in a human child. What do they say? I'm not so sure about this. I don't know about this. Maybe it was a hallucination. Those mushrooms that you picked up that were for the sheep and you ate, I'm not so sure we should. No, they say, let's go right now. 
Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. And, and you might be a seeker. You might be a visitor. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to do as you hear a lot of what's happening with regards to the Christian faith over this time, it's okay to say, let's go, let's confirm. I want to see if this is true. Come with me, let's do it. A French philosopher, I can't pronounce his name, so I'll just say a French philosopher says this, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. I mean, think about what these shepherds experienced from a moment of absolute abject being terrified to a sense of joy. Let's go and see. And once they'd gone and seen, they told everyone what they'd gone to see. So the shepherd's response informs our relationship to fear, and it informs our relationship to fear in three ways. Generally speaking, these are three of our biggest fears. We have the fear of the mundane, we have the fear of rejection, and we have a fear of the dark or darkness. Fear of the mundane is interesting to me in nativity plays. And some of you are in that phase right now where your children are in nativity plays. Some of you are in that phase where you like, have to go and watch your sister or aunts or sister-in-laws, whatever nativity plays. This is one thing I can guarantee you. No one wants to be a shepherd. No one is saying, please, can I be the shepherd? There are people who'd rather be donkeys. There are obviously people who want to be angels. But the shepherd is really not the one thing that you want to sign up for. Please, can I be the shepherd? And in the first century, this thing was true about shepherds, and specifically hireling shepherds. Uh, one rabbinic source says that most of the time they were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto people's lands, and they pilfered the produce of the land. Because they were often alone and without supervision, if something happened, you would blame it on the shepherds. Shepherds were not allowed to fulfill judicial office, and shepherds were not even allowed in court as witnesses. These are the lowest rung of the economic ladder with no formal education, and besides that, they probably stank a lot. Now, one of the reasons, and there are many that I don't like camping, one of the reasons... <laughs> is camp smell, right? Now, camp smell is where there is this weird concoction of the outdoors with not showering, with fire and smoke. And it kind of seeps into your skin, and you can't get this out. You know, that's, that's what camp smell is like. And so, for most of us, two days, three days, we're good. This is how these guys lived. Okay, no cologne, no kind of spray on. This is, this is how they were. They had no dignity, they had no position, they had no trust. Some of us, I'm sure, feel that way. Some of us feel like, God, I don't know if there's anyone that sees me as valuable. I don't know if there's anyone that sees me as trustworthy. I don't know if there's anyone that sees me as being in a position to explain what I've seen, especially with this message, especially with this message of God made God-man to be able to take on the sin of the world, to die, to be resurrected, to be ascended. God, not only is that story pretty unbelievable, but I don't know that I have enough dignity to be able to speak of that and people will believe me. But this is where the mundane and the extraordinary collide. This is where God made flesh is one of the most amazing things we'll ever experience. 
This is where royalty invades a stable and the spectacular shines on the commonplace. So why a manger? I think a manger is chosen because it's, it's an object of humility. It's a commonplace object. It's a multi-purpose object. Why? Swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths, for those of you that don't know, are clothes that you wrap around a child so that they don't fling around when they're crying because Jesus did cry. We know it wasn't a silent night. We know that even though we sing that. We should know that it wasn't a silent night. But it's a picture of God restricting himself in a human body. A child, humble, helpless, confined, and ordinary. It's a picture of God's restricted deity. Jaya Pekas is this. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And this was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. In other words, you can't make this stuff up. There's a sense in which a lot of Faiths and religions have what you would call a similar origin story. There is no other faith that has the idea of God becoming man to be able to walk with us, to experience what we experience, to take our sin, to be resurrected, and to be seated at the right hand of God. If you're a seeker or a visitor, this is one of the most unique things that you'll ever see with regards to faith, is the incarnation. We often fear that our lives can't be used by God because they are so ordinary, so humble and restricted. And that is rebutted by Jesus and the way he came in an ordinary, humble and restricted way. Jesus' incarnation dignifies our ordinary and mundane lives. How? Because the incarnation cures us of our fear that our hidden, faithful and ordinary acts of obedience are insignificant. There is a sense of, does anyone know that I'm alive and does anyone understand or recognize what I'm doing? It cures us of the fear that what we're doing is going unnoticed because every contract that I sign, every nose that I wipe, every diaper that I change, every lawn that I mow, every honest tax form that I fill out, every tithe check that I give, every prayer that I've prayed, every call that I've made, every person that I touch, Everyone who I give the benefit of the doubt for, everyone that I stand, every time I stand for an unpopular truth, I'm doing something normal, ordinary, and mundane. And the reason there is power behind that is because I'm doing it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. If Christ is in you, then every so called mundane action you perform as unto him is an explosion of the good news where the mundane and the impossibly glorious collide. We understand that the little things that we do in His name, just like the incarnation, have massive implications. So our, our fear of the mundane is, is uh, we, we, we're released from that when we understand just how mundane Jesus' entry into the world was. But we also, we become storytellers. 
That's what the shepherds became. They became storytellers. Now, shepherds, even though they weren't very well liked, they were necessary in those days. The shepherds had to have contact with the poor, with the middle class, and even with the priestly class. Why? Because Israel had set up this way of relating to God that needed sheep. You need a sheep to eat, but you also need a sheep to sacrifice. And so shepherds would have contact with every single one of these people, that the message of the coming king and what they had seen would reverberate throughout every strata of society. It also is important to note this. It doesn't seem that the shepherds stopped being shepherds. It just seems that the shepherds continued to be shepherds with a message of hope and joy. And sometimes in order to break our monotony or our mundaneness, we look for a change. We look for a change in our job, in our circumstance, or our geography. But we have the most amazing story to tell regardless of how mundane we think our circumstances are. We're called to revel and to proclaim and to demonstrate and participate in the mercies of God. What are you proclaiming to a weary world? Our fear of rejection. So our fear of the mundane. We look at that through the eyes of the shepherd. Our fear of rejection. Now understand this. The shepherds had a number of reasons to believe that they would be rejected. The one is the overall understanding that as a member of the human race, I'm encountering something so supernatural that the whole idea that I'm still alive is a good thing, right? But secondly, they, they had another reason to feel that they would be rejected in the sense that they would never be welcome in a palace, Shepherds would never be welcomed in a home of high society. They'd never be welcomed in a place like that because of the position that they kept. But not only is it good news that the Messiah is born to them, it's good news how he's born and where he's born. Why? Because they get to go see him. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are magi, highly educated people coming from the east, or whether you are the lowly shepherds, you have equal access to the king of kings. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He doesn't say unto Mary, he says unto you, for all people. So remember, there is this idea that this is not just a child that's going to bring Mary joy. This is a child that's going to bring you joy. This is a child that's going to bring you release. This is a child that's going to change everything and everyone has equal access. Not just pious Jews, not just the nation of Israel, every single person. Remember last week we spoke about the fact that Luke went into detail saying that this is the promise that was made to Abraham about all nations being blessed. Now you have the shepherd, the lowest economic strata, being the people that are visited by the hosts of angels saying this is God's savior for all people. There's no sense of rejection. The shepherds weren't looking for the Messiah. They were minding their own business. God broke into their world. Just like God breaks into us. God is the initiator and God is the fulfiller. Where does our, our fear of rejection come from? Our fear of rejection comes from the idea that we will pursue something, generally a person, whether it's in a friendship or a relationship, and we will be rejected by that person. Now, with my daughters, when they were young, we used to have these dad dates pretty regularly. There was no sense of fear of rejection 
for me. I, I would go to them and I would say, hey, do you want to go on a dad date? And they would say, yeah, let's do that. Now I have a massive fear of rejection. <laughs> now I kind of tiptoe around the idea, even this week. Hey, what are you up to on Friday? You want to go for lunch? Well, I can't because I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Okay, sure, whatever, you know, that's fine, you know. Now, I know they're not rejecting me. I know they're busy. I know, I know that, they, that they've become women adults in that sense, and, and I'm beginning to relate to them on a different level. But my posture towards them is different. My posture to, I'm still feeling like I did when I was a teenager asking for a date. I'm like, well, what am I going to say if they say no? I'm going to say no big deal, whatever, you know. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know. When we approach someone with a desire for relationship, and we're unsure about how they're going to respond, we have this fear of rejection. The thing about Jesus is this. We, we didn't approach him. He approached us. He came to us. Even with us not realizing our need of him, and he is the one that pursues us. He doesn't just pursue us in terms of our initial confession of faith. He pursues us when we're sitting in a pigsty, unaware of the mess we've made in our lives. He still pursues us. Whatever fear of rejection we have, that we would come to Jesus and that we would be rejected, is something that the enemy of your souls sows in. You will never be rejected by Jesus when you come to him. It doesn't matter what state your soul is in. It doesn't matter what thought you had, what action you committed a minute before you said, Jesus, I come to you, I recognize who you are. Just like that son did in that moment. Smelt his pigsty and recognized he needed to come home. You will never be rejected. We have a fear of the dark or darkness. This is really just a fear of the unknown. What could this year be hiding? I looked through my notes. 2017, I literally wrote this. How could 2018 be worse than 2017, right? I don't even know what, 20, what happened in 2017 now. 2017 feels like a lifetime ago. And I'm, I'm looking at this as a, a friend of mine is, uh, doesn't know Jesus said uh, this on, on, uh, on my feed. It's like, well, I don't know what that was. But there were a couple of words in between. What the heck was that? So we, we look at this next year with this sense of like, okay, most of us are not afraid of the dark. Most of us are afraid of the unknown because things look different in the dark. We look at COVID. We look at shootings, natural disasters, racial injustice, political posturing. There's no way we can say that this isn't a dark world. There's also no way we can say a, a weary world needs to rejoice. Why? Because we have a new and glorious dawn. Things always look worse at night. How many of you have kids that see a monster in the closet during the day? Right? If you do, you probably need to seek help. I'm just saying that like, if generally what happens is at night, what it does is it heightens our imagination. It doesn't necessarily heighten what is there. It just heightens our imagination of what could be wrong. When Car and I got married, we spent four very, very difficult months 
in my parents' cottage uh, that Karen loved being so close to my family, her in-laws. She remembers that time fondly, you know. No, she, does, she does not. But in June, July, which is when we were there, it's the height of winter in South Africa. Things get very cold, and it isn't like it is in the United States with a lot of lights, etc. And one day, I was looking out of the door, and, and there's a lot of break-ins and, and stuff in South Africa. One day, I was looking out of our door. Karen sees me in the middle of the night, and I'm crouched out the door. She says, what are you doing? And I said to her, when I say now, you open that door so that I can run out. She's like, what are you doing? I said, just listen. When I say now, just open the door. There's someone in the yard. And she says, well, what are you going to do? I said, if I run at them, they are going to freak out. They will be terrified. I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to run and I'm going to make a big noise. She says, I just want you to think this through. I'm like, when I say now, three, two, one. She knows this is the truth. She opens the door. I run out at what I think is an intruder in our backyard. I end up kicking this bucket into the sky, and I'm going, yeah! Again, like I said, we have different approaches to fear. So, so I stand there, and I come back. I'm out of breath. Karen says to me, what was it? I'm like, he's gone. She's like, what was it? I'm like, nothing, it's okay, he's gone. The next morning, she sees that my dad, who used to work in a, uh, uh, in a, in a workshop, in a welding workshop, had, um, we had a clothesline in the back, and the clothesline was a rotating clothesline. So it wasn't just that I saw this man that wasn't moving, this man was moving, because the wind was moving this rotating clothesline, and it was a coverall. So, in the darkness, I had convinced myself that there was a man in our backyard that I was going to frighten as I ran at him and kicked the bucket. And that's not what kick the bucket means, but, you know. The thing about light as well is that not only do we see things more clearly in the day, oh, that's my dad's coverall, we're also a little embarrassed about what we thought was in the dark. And the cool thing about that is that Jesus promises us light to our souls. There's this light that can dissolve fear and anxiety and depression. And I know that those are complex things, but there is this light that is able to do that. In Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness, the light has shone on them. This was Isaiah's promise about the coming Messiah. This is talking of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 to 6, and this is one of my favorite verses, it says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now what Paul is referring to is the creation of the world where everything was dark. God spoke and there was light. Has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Man, what an amazing thing to think about that these shepherds were literally looking at the face of Christ in this babe. The light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Light brings great joy in verse 10 and verse 13 and verse 20. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard. Why, why that phrase, in whom he is pleased or on whom his favor rests? Because we have his favor. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, there is a favor that rests on us as Christ followers. There is a favor that rests on us because we have been the recipients of this undeserved grace and mercy. That Jesus' life will continue as Mary will see in a way that is unexpected. And his death and resurrection will mean that the penalty of our sin is paid for making us those with whom he is pleased. He is Christ the Messiah, the one that would one day rescue and redeem us. We sing these songs, oppression, poverty, occupation, injustice, brutality, cruelty. All of these things will cease. But in, in, those, in that moment, that is not the key reason that, that Jesus came. We know that Israel missed the Messiah because they were looking for these current physical needs to be met. They were looking for their current physical oppression to be dealt with, their current physical injustice to be dealt with. We sing, Hail, heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lay His glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. We sing this, and and what that means is that there there is literally a sense in which Jesus knows, because of the incarnation, every single emotion Every single difficulty and joy, he experienced all of those here while he walked on earth. That was why the incarnation was important. Because of the incarnation, I can have someone that sympathizes with me and knows exactly what I've gone through and gone through so much worse. He's our victorious Savior, the King born to die, to save me from sin, from Satan, And from death. He is our ultimate sacrifice, the pure Lamb who took on him the sin of the world. He is our King born to rule and protect and guide us. He is our intimate friend and brother that's adopted us into the family of God. And he will return, not as the Lamb, but as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The incarnation, and band, you can come up. The incarnation. As sweet and as cuddly as it may sound, was the first act of war. It was the first act of war because in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and when they basically said to God, we don't believe that we can trust you, and we don't believe that you're telling us the full truth, and because of that, we're going to decide that we know better, and we're going to place our autonomy, our freedom, and what we know before what you say is good for us, And we're going to take this fruit, what's called the original sin. Because of that, the promise came that the serpent would strike at the heel of the one that was born of the seed of woman. But what would he do? He would crush the serpent's head. 
So this incarnation, this birth of Jesus is the first act of war in what would be a resounding kingdom victory for Jesus when he died and when he rose again. This is what we celebrate. We celebrate the crushing of the head of the serpent. We celebrate that the great separator, sin, is no more. Even though now we are still claiming a victory uh, that Jesus won at his resurrection, we are still walking in the fullness of that until we see him face to face when his return means that there will be no war. When, as Karen read this morning, that there will not be any more light or darkness. That we will be in a place where we see him face to face and his glory will fill our vision. There will be no more night. How is the invasion of Christ into my world dealing with my fear of the mundane, dealing with my fear of rejection and my fear of the unknown? I say this again, if Christ is in you and every mundane action you perform is an explosion of light and good news, because the mundane and the impossibly glorious collided in that moment, and that's what we celebrate. What happened? The angels sang, and the shepherds told their story. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to stand, and we're going to celebrate in song, and we're going to move into communion. I, I cannot think of anything more common and sacred than communion. I mean, Jesus took two of the most common elements that he could have in that moment. This is wine, this is bread, this is my body, and this is my blood. And that common moment of sharing a meal and those common elements, those, those tactile elements, what, what he was saying is, there will come a day when you will no longer eat this meal. There will come a day where this meal of remembrance is no longer necessary. Because there will come a day when there will be no more night when every tear is wiped away. Until then, this is what we say. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm going to thank you I want to thank you for your humility and for your power. I want to thank you for your transcendence and for your eminence. I want to thank you for the simplicity of what you came to do and the complexity of what happened out of that as every realm of darkness was shattered. I want to thank you that we can walk in joy and hope because of how profound our so-called mundane actions are if we're done in your name. I want to thank you that we never have to fear rejection because you are the rescuer and the initiator. You are constant and consistent. I want to thank you that we never have to fear the unknown, the darkness, because once we were darkness, now we have become light. It's not just the joy of having your light shone upon us. It is the joy of knowing that we have become lights that push back the darkness of this world. Light of God, glory of God, shine in our hearts today.
church this morning, um, what I've just been sensing and feeling as we've gathered, uh, it's been delightful. I was unaware of what Karn wanted to bring to her call to worship or the points in Nick's sermon, but there is this invitation <clears throat> to reject the ordinary. There's an invitation this morning to acknowledge that your imagination and darkness may be troubling you. I just want to read some things that Nick said this morning. I'm going to ask us to respond in worship. We often fear our lives cannot be used by God because our lives are ordinary, mundane, and restrictive. Jesus' birth rebuts this bit of deception. Being a God born, swaddled in a pigsty. We are released from the fear of the mundane when we acknowledge Jesus' mundane arrival on earth. Um, Nick said something along the lines of that this was the moment that royalty invaded simplicity. Jesus shows us the way. And what I want to remind you of, church, to me, what I've learned in this walk with this man, Jesus, is that maturity... Um, sanctification is found in the mundane. It's the understanding and revelation that even the simple moments of life are caught up in the kingdom of God. And so if this morning you felt like you could not be used by God or you doubted his ability to use you, I would love for you to completely reject that lie and receive prayer this morning. Have the body encourage you and equip you this morning. And the second thing I just... (laughs) want to retell the story that Nick told um, just briefly. He said that there is no way we can say that this is not a dark world that we live in and that darkness heightens our sense of imagination. Some of us have overactive imaginations this morning, I'm suspecting. Um, The darkness combined with Nick's imagination led him to believe that something inadimate was going to harm him. And we, we can tell by this story, this, how we could all be in those moments, but I think it's a picture, and if it's tugging on your heart this morning, receive prayer and be set free from those fears. My friends, I believe that God is awakening the church. I believe that with all of my heart. He always seems to do that when things are really dark. He allows this magnificent contrast of the depths of humanity's despair to be held in contrast to the light of the world that is found only in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to lean into those invitations. Do you believe for a moment that God cannot use you in any area that he chooses to? Are you afraid? I get afraid sometimes. My father taught me to think things through to kind of the end and to look at those situations. And the only thing we can, like, what we fear is that our sanctification process is over and that we stand in the glory of God. That is worst case scenario, people. And so this morning, as we hold this ordinary thing, crackers and juice, bread and wine, Can we revel in the fact that God has come, he is coming again, he has chosen you, he has chosen me. Not even the gates of hell can stand in opposition to what he chooses to do. And so this morning, God, 
Jesus, we thank you for you willingly setting your face like flint to the cross to make a way for us to be made whole. And Jesus, we acknowledge that as we consume this broken bread or this, these cracked crackers, we acknowledge that this was your body being sacrificed so that we may find wholeness. And Jesus, we revel in the fact that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that our punishment was fully satisfied by your sacrifice. And this morning as we take this cup, we say thank you. But for those of us leaning in, we say use us as you see fit in the ordinary mundane moments of life. Uh, Father, I pray that you would heighten our senses to the kingdom of God which exists in the mundane and the ordinary. And so, Father, we thank you uh, for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, for making a way for us. My friends, I hope you are encouraged this morning. I hope you... Rest in the revelation that God wastes not a moment in your life, that the kingdom is near, that the king is with us. We have one more song we're going to carry on worshiping. Um, We'll dismiss in a few minutes. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.